All right, everybody, happy to be back. Scott, how are you doing today? Doing well. So podcast matchup continuation. So working with talking with Jeremy last week and we had Steve come in and I think it, I think they connected themselves exceptionally well. As we were having our conversation with Jeremy, I was already starting to think, man, this is coming out perfectly based on our conversation with Steve about unreasonable hospitality because I, I think we were setting that path. So excited about this one and we don't have to ask this time. We know that we're going where the streets have no name here with Steve. So it just, and Steve's a guy that we've talked a lot about you know, even from the first day, I've had a close relationship with Steve and he and I have grown closer in, in ways that are pretty incredible. This podcast idea was, I think it was like a late Saturday night. I'm sitting on the couch reading this book. I got my little book lamp over the book and I send him a picture of the book on my leg. And he said, I'm reading the same book. This is amazing. So it's a, it's having the opportunity to be around such a like-minded guy. And this is just another, not in, in this super excited for this one. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Adam, how are you doing today? Looking forward to this one. It's going to be good. Doing great. So happy to be here. I don't think this episode needs much lead in. As Scott was just alluding to, we've got Steve Schwab here with us and we're going to be talking about unreasonable hospitality. I am actually pretty amazed at the book. I have always considered myself to be in a hospitality industry for the time that I've been in the vacation rental space going on 15, 16 years. But I never really got down to the core of what hospitality is. And this book, like any great book that you read, it, it uncovers the knowledge that you've already got inside. And it just drew me back to things that I've already known. It's developing relationships. It's thinking about the other person on the other side. It's realizing that service is hospitality. And it's all those small things that accumulate to make that really strong hospitality experience, which is what I believe and everyone on this call here believes is the driving force behind vacation rentals, but ultimately the success as we evolve into the next stage of what the vacation rental industry is. I'm a huge believer that unreasonable hospitality is exactly the direction that we need to go. Very excited to have Steve here for a second time. I think it was episode 10 and now episode 20. So we're going every 10 episodes, Steve. Great to have you here. Yeah, we're pumped to have you back, Steve. You are, I joked earlier before we hit record, three-time guest because of the bonus last week, but it's all good. We're definitely happy to have you back for this one. And I think we've all picked up a copy of this and I have some different things to go through. Steve, welcome back. I would love to dive right in because people know you and they know the background, so I don't think they need that. So why this book? How'd you get, how'd you catch it? What made you want to pick it up? And what are some of your high-level takeaways? And then we'll get into the specifics. Gosh, first of all, thanks for having me back, guys. I really appreciate being here. Always love the conversations with us and what a great crew to, to be associated with. For me, I actually heard Will Gardera on a TED talk. And so I reached out to him on LinkedIn and to my surprise, he responded. So I had a couple of conversations with him just back and forth on LinkedIn. And uh, next thing you know, this book's popping up and bought it, read it, and then ended up downloading the audio of it on Audible, listened to it on a motorcycle drive, and just am so inspired by this book uh, in so many ways. And to Adam's point... There's a lot in here that I think we know innately, but often finding the language to put framework around what our thoughts are or what we know and be able to communicate those, those thoughts, this book really lays into a lot of those and clarifies uh, and inspires me personally to be able to start leading maybe even a completely different direction, at least an elevated direction at the most. But a lot of the things in this book need to be heard by a lot of us in the industry. 
Yeah. I, what I liked about it is that we can learn a lot from adjacent industries, right? And in this case, you were able to pick it up and check it out. But they have a lot of examples in here. And in fact, I've always heard that in the past where people say hospitality, they include like food and beverage, restaurants, etc. So what do you think some parallels are then between that like specific part of the industry, let's say food and beverage, hospi- or restaurants, things like that, and the vacational industry? Because I feel like the relationship that we have with, let's say, someone at a restaurant who's serving us is very different than a vacational host. So I guess I'm curious how you can connect those things. I think that one of the main tenets of the entire book is that hospitality isn't just for the guests, but it's also for us. Our team finds joy in it when they provide fantastic hospitality. So it's something of a selfish pleasure to be able to give real hospitality. And he makes a point, that point over and over through the book. And I think it's important because if we want our team to be engaged, if we want our teams to feel like they're making a difference, if they understand why they're doing the work and why does it matter, it's not just a matter of I change a light bulb because it doesn't work. It's because I'm providing an experience because I'm making people feel heard. It's because I make them feel belong and welcomed. Those sort of things come into play when they get into uh, the discussions of why does it matter that you're doing what you do? It, it translates to all the different all the different corners of hospitality and understanding that the details matter. But moreover, like if you really think about what we do, and we were talking about this last week on the episode, just by at me accidentally jumping on the wrong week, a little scheduling confusion there. But you start with service, right? And you have to build service excellence, and that's really a lot of logistics and making sure that the the thousand different details that are out there are being done as perfectly as possible, and that creates excellence. And so service is black and white, but hospitality is in color, and that's something that Will goes into several times in the book. You can certainly provide a soulless property that has everything in it that they need to have a stay, but do they feel welcomed? Do they feel loved on? Do they feel heard? And those parallels between a dining experience and the experience of staying in a property and feeling welcomed and loved on and cared for, those are the sort of parallels that I found in it. I'd love to hear what, you know, maybe like Scott thought about what the parallels were. Yeah. Yeah. So Steve, it's funny. I've I have been a big believer in hiring people out of the restaurant industry. I think there's an incredible connection. And I have taken people straight out of the hospitality, straight out of the restaurant business and brought them in and trained them here. And some of some of my most successful folks are just that. And Adam, and I won't mention last names, but Adam, you remember James. He was straight out of a restaurant. No, zero, zero experience. But it's funny, Steve, you go into that book and there's just so much. And I'm like you. And I will say that both I got inspired where I started looking and going to your point, like, all right, hang on a minute. Let's strip this all down again. Let's look at this and let's look at everything different. Adam's been in a week of planning, completely unplanned, because now we're looking to say, how much are we going to change? But it's funny, Conrad, when you talk about the people and Steve talked about the people side, Will makes a good point that the people in that are strongest in hospitality are more sensitive and they can oftentimes be more difficult to manage. And I'll tell you, and this is, I've got examples all around me. I am that guy, right? I can walk out on that floor and just walking through the call center to hit the restroom and I can see an agent and I'll actually grab the manager and say, Hey, something's wrong. Something's not right with this agent. I did it twice last week and it ended up the agent's mom. There's something wrong with the agent's mom. I, I hadn't interacted with this lady at all. 
but there is, I do believe that there's just this thing inside of hospitality driven people that they get it right. And like Steve says, then they get caught in the flywheel. They get more excited about doing things better. You take this all the way through. And then the book, Will talks about the Dreamweaver program where it's essentially all of these people essentially constantly doing this one up thing and they call it the plus one program. So I, I, that was the part that I really enjoy. And one of the things that Adam and I are contemplating and then I'll kick it to him is, and we're having this conversation as a team is what are our most precarious positions with the guests? When is that moment where everything hangs in the back for the choice now that they made and the choice in the future? Because that was one of the things that Will talked about is for them, it was the check, right? And I assume in most cases, people know that's a big number coming when that check is delivered. But even with that being said, they wanted to just ease that moment. So they literally looked at it and said, What's our precarious moment? And then they built this thing around it. And I love the way they did it and just took all of the edge around it. So we've been sitting around saying, what's our precarious moment? And let's strip it down and say, how many are there? And we said, from us, it's the traveler. From us, it's a client base. From us, it's an owner. And say, where do you hit those precarious moments? And then let's back it down and say, how do we engineer real hospitality, unreasonable hospitality into that moment? Yeah, I'll, I'll add a couple things to that. So first of all, I think that when you start to think about unreasonable hospitality and how you want to adjust to start to fit that mold, we're not that far off from what we're already doing. We already have a core foundation as a hospitality company. And I think this you could stretch this across the industry, but you want to tweak these small things, the precarious situations. How can we fix that small thing to really make it exponentially better? So I think that as an industry, we can embrace this mentality relatively quickly if we start to think about it. And that, to Scott's point, is what I've been trying to do this week is internalize this book and start to think about all of our processes and how do we start breaking them down and start adding this touch of hospitality. But the other thing I'll mention along the lines of Scott's point there is I don't disagree. I I think that Will's point in the book and Scott's point about people who are naturally hospitable or have this hospitality, hospitality mindset might be a little bit more sensitive and can pick up on those things. But I'll take it from the other side and say, I also believe that it's a learned skill. I think this is something that we can all get better at. You might not be innate. You might not be intuitive for you to have that. But I think that we can all learn it and we can all be more conscious of it. And one thing that I took away from this book, and I probably fall on the other side. I probably walk through a room and don't pay attention to the people that I need to pay attention to at the right times. And that's just my natural mindset. But in the book, Will made this really strong point that service can almost seem demeaning, like you're servicing this other person, but there's actually a lot of honor in it. And you become very honorable when you start to recognize the value that hospitality is and the service that you're providing. And it goes to a point that Steve made last week when he popped in on the Jeremy episode. And what we're doing as professional managers, as vacation rental managers, what we're doing to bring people onto vacation is a huge responsibility. They're paying a lot of money. There are life experiences. Steve mentioned baby's first time at the beach or grandma's last time at the beach. Those are huge points in life that we have the opportunity to be a part of. And we have the opportunity to start to think about ourselves as providing that service and that level of service that will make it memorable. I took away from my perspective as being someone who doesn't necessarily have that hospitality mindset all the time, I recognize the honor that's in that, and that changed my mindset as well. So when I start to think about hospitality and service and recognizing how much honor there is behind that, 
I think there's a lot of value in the industry recognizing that and saying, you know, what we're doing in providing these vacations is very meaningful and important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, it was interesting to me, the foreword of the book is by Simon Sinek. I think that's how you say his last name. And I actually heard a video from him a while ago on LinkedIn. And he said, he was talking actually about employees, but he said a lot of em- employers will say, I'm treating them fairly. I'm doing what we agreed upon in our employment contract and things like that. And he said, you can't just treat people how you want to be treated. You have to treat people how they want to be treated. And I think that's what you're saying, Adam, which is that when you're helping that person, if you're treating them how they want to be treated and they're really happy with the experience, then you can take a lot of pride in that. And that's something to be proud of. I had a little bookmark here that maybe will take us in the next section on 75, which is that he talks about bucketing employees on that same thread into two different camps, ones who are trying and ones who aren't. And sometimes I think about that. We always have these like complex, oh, let's grade people's performances or let's do internal reviews and things like that. And that seems like such a simple way to think about someone trying and not trying. And you can see that's probably what Scott is picking up on that he was talking about earlier. In this case, it was a different situation, maybe someone having a personal situation. But you can sense, I can sense that I feel like too, like you're either trying and you're trying to figure out the problem and I can work with you on that because you're you're working towards it, or you just don't care and you don't have that mm-hmm. mindset. And you're actively working against our best interests and the best interests of our clients or the best interests of our guests, or whatever the case may be. What were some of your other thoughts, Steve, on like those different notes of whether it's team, like how do you get people to actually buy into this? I feel like maybe you could tie compensation to it. Maybe you could just lead by example. That's something we talked a lot about in our last episode, which I liked our episode on that a lot where you talked about that piece. But what about this? Can you, do you just pay them more? Is it just showing examples? How do you get like lower level people in the team to actually buy into this more? I think that from a culture point of view, you have to get down to the granular place where every person on your team understands why their job matters. And it's not just a matter of, I change, like I said last week, I change light bulbs because the light bulb needs changing. It goes back to like, I'm providing an experience. I'm making sure that somebody's first day or last day or whatever that somewhere in between looks like is a fantastic stay. And it reminds me of, and I may stutter through this a little bit, but it reminds me a little bit of the three different bricklayers who were building the Domeo. And one, they came up to one and asked him, what did he do? He's, I'm laying bricks. And the other guy says, I'm building a wall. And the third guy they asked was like, he understood why his job mattered. He's like, I am building a church that will stand the test of time. And I will never see it being finished, but it will be a place where people can pray and gather on, and it will be an epic piece of art for generations. And they were all three laying bricks, right? So understanding why you're doing it and why it matters is a big part of engagement and getting people involved. And it's also infectious when you start to have your team, it starts to build a, a culture and social norms of when the team starts saying, this is why we do it, and this is why it matters, it starts to build that social norm. And what's another word for social normal? It's a culture. And they start to have expectations of each other of why this matters. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. And we've continued to build on the story. And if you go back and listen to episode 10, we could tie this conversation to that day because there's a couple points. So I think, and we talked a little bit about this last week when Steve pumped in with Jeremy, but the Will's perspective was clearly they were a very high end experience, right? So people were coming there for the best of the best, but they stopped that and in his tracks and said, people are coming here to add to their collection of memories, mm-hmm. right? The food happened to be the aside, look at them differently. And then Steve talked, and I've thought a lot about this when Steve talked about it, right? Is better for someone to fall off the curb, right? And pushing them responsibility and helping them to grow. I think that hits your point, Conrad, because 
one of the things that, that I really enjoyed in this book, and again, I'm not sure how we get there, but clearly there's a way to get there is their ownership programs. Mm-hmm. They took everyone one by one. I mean, they had a guy responsible for the silverware. That was his role. He led silverware. And you look at that and go, and once you had it, everyone else was away from it, right? He, that guy was the silverware guy, right? There was a guy that did the China. And you look at that and go, it seems extreme, but I don't think it all, it is all that extreme because they take so much pride in it. And then you go back to what Steve's saying, they build up so much pride. And then you add in the honor side that Adam's talking about that changes the game, right? And then you start building this entire experience where now all you're doing is just coordinating the pieces, right? When you can put all of those pieces together and silverware in China in every single aspect, it's incredible, but it comes back to, and and Steve talked about this, you give your, how do you make your people more responsible? You give them more responsibility. It's that simple. One of the things we do in Conrad where you started is from our standpoint, we look at our service in three areas here. So we grade all of our agents or however you want to say grade is probably not the right word, but we do effort service results, right? And what we agree to is we can never fix effort. We can talk to you about effort. We can't fix it. If you have an effort problem, there's a, there's another way to handle it. If you're putting in the effort, From my perspective, and this will always be my perspective and no one will be able to change it. If you're putting in the effort, the rest is on us. We can train you to serve. We can train you to do better. We can find a place for you because you get someone that's putting in the effort. That's the difference maker. Those are the people you want to hold on to and say, okay, now if this isn't working, how do we help you? How do we train you up? Or how do we get you into a place that works best for you? I like that quite a bit because ultimately you have to simplify it a little bit too, right? Because a lot of these things are, one thing I was thinking too is like a lot of people may not recognize these things. Maybe if you're used to these high-end hospitality experiences, you expect it. That was one thing that we said before we hit record. We were talking about, Tayan has said this before from Touch Day. Tayan Marsing, she's talked about that the only reason you get a negative review or one of the most common reasons you get a negative review at least is just unmet expectations. That the guest expected Y and they got Z and whatever Y was in their mind, if you give them Z, they're not going to be happy with it. And I think that's such a challenging piece because you don't always know what they expect. There's not like a piece of paper they filled out or an email they sent you with, I expect this to happen and this to happen. Sometimes you only find about it like live on the fly. It's, oh, as they're staying, they expected this to be in there. It's not in there. And we're already in a tough spot with the guests with not really being happy or getting what they wanted because they expected something different. I always thought that too about some of the examples he had in here about service. Like I'm sure people who go to high-end restaurants all the time expect a level of service that is just the standard for them, but other people going to it wouldn't expect the same thing. So maybe Adam, you can speak on this a little bit, but this touches back a little bit what Jeremy was talking about last week. If there's a seven, 10 bedroom oceanfront vacation home in the Outer Banks, it might be the only one in that street or in that area that has the same amenities and finishes and all that kind of stuff. There is no substitute. There's no alternative. So how do we meet, how do we know what the guest expects in one sense? And then how could we possibly deliver? Maybe this is everybody sharing on that when we don't exactly know what it is that they expect. How can we make them happy when we're a little unsure of how the relationship is going to start? I think that there's a few different ways to approach that question. And I'll start with jumping back to, I don't know, maybe it was episode three and it's about ranking the properties and making sure that we're setting expectations. So I think at some level, it's on us to set the right expectations. Now, finding the right opportunities to set those expectations through that guest journey 
that's not always easy because they might not look at the guest ranking or the property rankings, or they might not read your email. So there is a challenge in communication. But at the end of the day, when I bring this back to unreasonable hospitality, I think we as managers need to own this experience, whether it's with the homeowners or whether it's with the guests. Hospitality has to come from us and it's got to go through us all the way through the team, all the way down to the experiences that everybody has out in the field. The one thing that I think is really encouraging about that and going back to a couple of the points that Scott was making about changes that they made in the book as far as ownership around these specific areas, or I think he mentioned the touch on the lapel if they need help. That might have been last episode, so I'll clear it up a little bit. But this was one that really surprised me. In the book, if a waiter or waitress needs assistance, then they just touch their lapel and the manager or their teammates who are happen to be watching will come over and assist because they touched their lapel. Prior to that, the waiter or waitress would run around the restaurant trying to get the manager's attention. The manager would be distracted. The waiter or waitress would end up going back and being at their station and still having all the problems, but they didn't have anyone to help. A simple solution as touching your lapel changed that. And it wasn't just at this restaurant. The other point, Will, in the book is that tool, that trick has now gone across restaurants across the United States, probably the world at this point. That is so basic. That is such a small iteration to make such a big change. That's what excites me about this mindset. And I think it's really a mindset that we're all starting to develop and start to believe in. But when you start to do that, you start to find these small chances that you make a small tweak and all of a sudden the expectations are different, or at least we're starting to meet expectations because we're looking for those small changes. And that leads to some other questions that I think we're all thinking about and trying to process is what do we do with this information, right? What do we do with the foundation and the processes that we have in place and how do we start to tweak those? That's where I've spent the most of my week trying to think about this. But Steve, have you started to think about changes that you're going to make either with your specific management or with Casago as a whole? Yeah, there's. I've got pages written now of, of what I think we need to do to differentiate ourselves as a brand. But it starts with the something they, that he talked about from a guy named David Brailsford. Brailsford, he was the guy who led the British cycling team to ten gold medals in two thousand eight. I had heard that example before. It's such a great example. It's fantastic. It's called the aggregation of marginal gains, yeah. and to come to come into an organization that already has a, a culture, already has expectations, already has a way of doing things, and just to tear it apart in one day would be a disaster. You'll actually You'll tear apart everything that you've already built. It's about coming in and can we make can we take ten different things and make them one percent better today? And tomorrow, can we do the same thing? And these small changes, these small these small changes in the aggregation and making marginal gains a little bit at a time across the whole board. That's how we get from here to there, right? And uh, being intentional. He talks about being intentional and being intentional is about making. The decisions of with all the details with the goal in mind, right? So I think that being very intentional about where we're going and then starting to make small changes with the expectations and measuring those as measured by and building out those those processes sets a roadmap over the course of the next year to all the way out to 10 years of how do you differentiate yourself from anybody else in this industry? And I think there's a path forward on that. Now, Steve, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I think there's value in, in us answering this question. 
can unreasonable hospitality and can those small measures that you talk about, can that scale in the way that vacation rental managers need it to scale? Sure. It's one thing to do it at two properties. Can you do it at 200 or 2000 properties? Yeah, I think you can. And I think you, you, there again, you have to be intentional from the top down and people have to understand why their job matters, handing out ownership, letting people fall off the curbs, but measuring those gains and building a crew that's going to have the same dreams and aspirations and one vision of how we get there and how it looks completely different. Personally, I think we're going to have to find a whole bunch of quirky people that don't normally fit into things who have a deep love. And the reason why I think they're so sensitive is because they're great at this because they have empathy for others. And to Scott's point earlier, talking about people give what they want to receive. The reason why we find so many people who have or are very sensitive in this in hospitality is because they're great at it because they're giving what they want back. They're being sensitive to what's happening at the home or in a reservation or at a table in this fact. But the love languages of giving what you want to receive is, is a human tenet of how we, we try to communicate these things. And so we need a whole bunch of quirky, sensitive people who are introspective and very thoughtful and can see the vision. And you take those people and love on them and speak into them and get that team of horses going in one direction with your, with your values and principles and buy-in and goals and mission. And I think that there's something that comes from this book that changes, changes a company to be something that the industry doesn't have today. Yeah. It's, so it's funny. The other book, Adam, because I, I, when I read it, I was like, man, this is for me. The other book it's in about the British cyclist is Atomic Habits. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And Stephen, I'm looking back through my notes and not surprisingly, you and I hit the same ones almost. But right, I had written, intention means every decision from the most significant to the seemingly mundane. It all mm -hmm. matters. And I think Will did a really good job hitting on that. Hospitality is a team sport, right? Clearly. That's a big one. And then one of the ones that I'm going to ask, and I clearly I know where Adam stands. I think I know where Conrad stands, but athletic hospitality, right? So one of the things that I give a lot of credit to for just my way of thinking was sports, right? So football I'm from, I played football from middle school all the way through. And there were some moments in that team building that shaped me even still that all of my kids had to play a team sport. That was, that's been my only requirement. And I can hearken back to high school football and we had this sign up over the door right back in the day before it was cool and everyone was doing it and it was find a way to win. And I can tell you that was too many years ago. I still <laughs> will stick to find a way to win today. I can be in the toughest moment sitting here in this office and find a way to ring oh, win rings true in my head. And I can look at it and go. So now I guess the question is, Steve, we'll start with you. I, Conrad's a golf guy, but so I don't know how it translates. But what about sports for you, Steve? You think that this hospitality is a team sport? Do you think that athletics and sports plays a role in this too? Yeah, it absolutely does. It's funny that as soon as you said that, I looked down and I've got it, like I've got it on my page and underlined twice that hospitality is a team sport. Uh -huh. I played football and basketball and these sort of things in high school. I'm going to go just a little different direction with it, but in the military. Warfighting is a team sport. 
And you know, you watch movies where you watch this one guy can do all these magical things. That's not how the real world wor- real world works. You've got 190 degrees of vision on your head, and anything behind that you have no control of over. So what happens? You have teammates that are doing interlocking fields of fire and watching your back and making sure things are happening. And it's called clock. It's called clockwork warfare. And having a team that understands which cog they are in that clock allows precise warfare to happen in the special operations community. It's not any different when it comes to vacation rentals. The people that are on the ground, forward facing, in the homes, making sure the place is clean are depending on the people who are making sure it's serviceable, who are making sure that we're setting great expectations from the marketing department, who are making sure that we are having good communication skills with the reservationist, who are making sure that we're picking up the phone at two in the morning when the water starts leaking. We're all interdependent and it's clockwork vacation rentals, clockwork short-term rentals that are making sure that that guest experience is holistically being met. And yeah, from that point of view, absolutely. It's a team sport, athletics or military or any sort of team you look at like that. It's it's the parallels are right there when you look at what we do compared to athletic hospitality. We've covered this on previous episodes, but one thing that I've said before, we'll get a new contact form on our website and we'll reach out and we'll look at the lead and I research them and I look at their reviews on places like Google. I'll certainly look on listing sites and things like that. And I feel like everything that, that, not everything, but a lot of the pieces in this book, it all reflects in the review, right? So at the end of their stay, they've gone through this experience that you've given them and they have, they're presented with essentially a simple enough choice. At least it seems like that on the surface. Is it a one star, two star, three star, five star? What's the grade that they give you? And it seems Airbnb, for better or worse, they've made it so binary. Like four is failure, five is is basically okay or success, when really that's not really the truth, right? <laughs> I've stayed in lots of properties where the property was like a two, but the host may have actually been a four or five. So what do you give that rating when that scenario, it's more nuanced. So what's up? maybe Adam, you have some thoughts on that, or we can go any direction with it, which is that how do you quantify this in terms of like a review? Can we just look at companies that have good reviews and assume they're good at unreasonable hospitality? Or is there more to it than that? I'm really interested to see how this plays out over the next few years. One of the things that sticks out to me, and I don't have an answer for this, is there anybody in this industry that's really doing a good job at this? And I'm sure we could all come up with examples of companies that are doing a decent job in certain parts of this, but to build a culture around unreasonable hospitality, I don't think that's been done in the industry yet. I don't think people have focused enough on that hospitality mindset. And especially over the past few years, I think that even professional managers were scrambling over the last few years because the demand was so high that I don't know that we evolved as an industry over the last, let's say three years. In fact, you could argue that we've might've even taken steps back because we weren't in this mindset of how do we improve and tweak these small things. Whereas for the first, let's say 20 years of the industry, I think we were really focused on how do we tweak, how do we improve? And I think we lost some of that edge. So I'm not sure how we quantify this experience outside of reviews today, Conrad, but I think what we'll find is over the next few years, the most successful companies are going to be the ones that make hospitality, hospitality their core. Now, I don't think that takes the OTAs out of this discussion because I think right now that actually is the superpower of hosts. I think that hosts believe that they understand hospitality and are building these really hospitable experiences. And there's some truth to that because they're only managing a small number of homes. And they got into this with this perspective of really standing out and being a marketing focused group that really wants to stand out and be trendy and to 
Steve's point, I do think that this might be a new set of people that comes into the industry to start to reinforce this mentality. Maybe we've got really great hospitality people in the industry, but we definitely need new and fresh voices. And that was what Will's perspective was in the book as well, as he wanted to be a four-star restaurant for the new generation. Jeremy mentioned this last week as well. The people that are managing these homes and the travelers are going to skew younger. That's just the way generations work. We're going to continue to see younger and younger people come through this. So I think that we're, to Steve's point, we're at an inflection point. We're at an evolution in this industry where I think we're going to have to be the new vacation rental company for the next generation. Now, that also means we're going to obviously service all generations, but I think we've got to think about it in a new way. We've got to be that next generation that is really bringing hospitality to the forefront. And I I think the measurement over time is going to be the successful companies. I think reviews, unfortunately, for at least the foreseeable future are probably the best measure that guests have. But I don't think that's a great measure. I think that it's going to be repeat stays is ultimately where the measurement is. I think it's I think it's a step further, Adam. I think it's repeat, but direct repeat. Yes. I'm in the first time with the OTA check, but I think if you do this well, I think you build a direct repeat. I think it's good reviews and direct repeat. I think those are the leading indicators to how this is moving. And like the Nurkity marketing metric that I have in my head, and I'm sure maybe Steve, I'll go to you next on this, is when people go and search for the name of the company or they go directly to your website. And then it's like, there's no competition, basically. You're not competing with anybody because they've decided they're going to go back to Ocean City or they're going to go back to Myrtle Beach or whatever. And they've actually eliminated 99% of the other hosts and managers and OTA platforms out there. They go, yeah, I know where to go. I'm going to go here because I've gone here before and I've had a good experience or even better. My mother, my brother, my husband, my wife, whatever went here and they told me they had a great experience and there's that word of mouth. So sorry, Steve, I think I cut you off, but your thoughts on that? No. So back to Scott's point, if you really look at what the trajectory of the industry is started off, and I mentioned this on episode 10, but I miss the days of people coming in, checking in, right? Because you built relationships, but the industry has reconfigured itself to efficiency. So somebody books through an OTA, they don't even know your company's name. They go directly to the house. They punch in a code. We, the company, the industry as a whole has been built now to be very efficient and to the point where we've lost contact with the people who have come through. There was never a person for the first 10 years of me being in business that we didn't get to meet them face to face and we didn't get to hand them a key or we didn't talk to them on the phone or, you know, email them back and forth. And they didn't, and they all knew our website because that was the only way to do a booking. We've gotten to a point where our properties and our industry has been commoditized And the way to differentiate yourself now is to go backwards. You got to go backwards to go forward. We've got to start building. We got to find ways to build those human connections. We got to start making sure that they know who we are. We have to start loving on these guests in ways that they're not being loved on. They need to be seen. They need to feel seen. They need to feel welcomed. And that's not through a door code and and a a welcome letter. It's got to be more. And so the way we differentiate ourselves is to go backwards is full circle again. And I think that will build a brand that is harder to do and quirky, but will scale at in a direction that with the right policies and procedures and training in place that, that takes us forward as an industry and, and uh, we'll show that we love on our guests. 
and uh, that we love on our homeowners and we love on our communities and we love on our teams. You touch on homeowners there, Steve. I don't think we've talked about that much to, so far. We've been very focused on the guest side, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. But maybe we have some thoughts on that before we get to the next piece, which is what what is that? Thought is there a way that we can treat the homeowner? We touched on it even last episode with Jeremy a little bit. Hey, is there a breezeway tool and technology that makes the homeowner experience better? But a lot of people feel like, and I've had clients that have said this to me in the past, my homeowner is my ultimate customer. So if I have to choose in a situation between upsetting party A, the guest, and party B, the homeowner, I've had lots of people tell me in the past that they will choose party B every single time because they they feel like that relationship is more profitable or valuable to them long term than one guest. They're maybe okay upsetting one guest. So Thoughts on that, maybe Scott, on the homeowner relationship as it relates to unreasonable hospitality. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. And I'm going to be short on this one because I, this is Steve's area, right? Steve talks a lot about homeowners and really building a connection with homeowners. But I think it goes back to, and Adam talked about this, building your alignment with the homeowner to begin with, right? Making sure that you and that homeowner are in lockstep and working on the same thing. For us, with what we're building, we're not just casting this wide net and we're hoping to work with everyone. We're looking to say, we want to work with very specific people that are focused on the exact same things that we are. We're a professional vacation rental manager, right? We're not looking to handle your beach home. We're looking to handle your vacation rental. And if that's your mindset, I think there's a fit. So Conrad, I, I think my quick answer on that is, I think this is where expectations up front allows you to then interact with that homeowner the right way and build that hospitality. If you said, how do you provide a hospitality experience to the homeowner? I'm not all, I'm not sure that I'm there yet. Other than all of this, and Steve mentions this over and over, this is the human connection business, right? End of story, stop, period. And that goes guest and owner, right? And sometimes that human connection business with the owner is They don't want to hear from you, right? Send checks and make sure everything's okay. And you've got to work lean that way with them. And then there's some people that want to call and want to talk to you. And I think you've got to be able to adapt to them. But I think from my perspective, Steve, I think it starts expectations first. Yeah. So I think that without selecting the right homeowner, you can't have a great guest experience. Those homeowners are our partners. We have a fiduciary responsibility to those homeowners. They've handed over millions of dollars worth of inventory to us of their own personal assets. We have a direct responsibility to be their advocate in their absence, to represent them when they're not there. Otherwise, what value do we have? But selecting the right homeowner, making sure that they're in alignment with our values, the value of making sure that we provide a fair place for a fair price making sure that when something goes wrong, we can give the appropriate discounts, making sure that the places that they'll authorize us to clean it and and deep clean it and repaint it when it needs to and fix the couch, buy a new couch when the thing is looking dingy. Without that alignment of a great homeowner, we can't provide unreasonable hospitality to our guests because we don't have the final say-so of what happens to these properties without their consent. So it starts there. When it comes to first selecting and then treating those homeowners well, if you want to build a lifelong relationship with a homeowner, it starts with making sure that they feel welcome and heard like Will talks about. And in order to do that, we have to start, we have to make sure that they understand that We manage their property, but we don't have a relationship with their property. We have a relationship with them. And our team has to understand that this isn't just 
the owners of Casa 147. This is Jim and Sally, who we need to love on and send love letters to and build relationships with. And that relationship with them is really our job, making sure that we're hospitable to them when they come, that they know that they feel valued and loved on. And what pays for us to be able to do that is managing their property at a very high level and treating their guests like they would want them treated. And if we're treating their guests in a way that they don't want them treated or want to pay for or be part of, then we're not in alignment with them. And we have an integrity issue between us and our homeowners. And that is cause for separation. And that's where this starts. But coming in, getting to know our homeowners, I would tell you that a lot of property managers don't really know their homeowners, that they're building a relationship with a piece of wood and concrete on a piece of land in a pretty place instead of building a relationship with the homeowner themselves, right? So we have to get to know those homeowners. What do they love? What, are they, what football teams do they like? What's their kids' names? What's their dogs' names? What do they care about? What heartaches are they going? We have homeowners that have been with Casago for the entire time Casago has been around for 22 years now. Why? It's not because we like their property. We do like their property, but that's not why. It's because we know their kids. We know their grandkids now. We've been there when they were, they've had a problem and we've stepped in and helped them out. And when they call us to fix a problem, they're not calling us to firing us, to fire us. That's the relationship. That's the love letter back. And so uh, being unreasonable in your hospitality to your homeowners creates the stability of having the properties that are aligned to build, to go out and create unreasonable guest experiences that both you and your partners homeowners are proud of. And I think that that builds the ecosystem that we're trying to find. Yeah, that all resonates with me perfectly. I think that at the end of the day, it's relationships across the board, whether that's with guests, with employees, with contractors, with homeowners. That was really my underlying takeaway from the book is just really being intentional about relationships and being focused and present when you're having a conversation and, and thinking about what the needs are and the expectations are for that other person. And then how can I meet those needs? And as much as I've been in the hospitality industry for 15 plus years, I don't think I've ever approached my day-to-day life in hospitality from that perspective. And I'm happy to say that I I think this book will not only change the way I'm looking at it, but hopefully change the way that we're going to run our business. And hopefully we impact the industry as a result of that. Love that. Last episode, Steve, we talked about the culture war, and I feel like this is a such a great weapon for you to have on the culture war to actually win it and be able to deliver this type of hospitality. Any any updates on that, or do you think this is one part of many, or is this kind of one way that someone can take that and battle against these bad operators and actually do what the guest really needs? Yeah, it, this definitely goes into our war chest to find a way to yeah. uh, do that, right? If you really think about the culture war that's going on, we should probably be thinking about, and I haven't thought about this until just right now, and I'd love to hear y'all's opinion on this, but maybe we should start being having, start having unreasonable hospitality to the communities that we are operating in. What if we were the ones who were at the vanguard of the community saying, we're here to be fantastic stewards of this community. And yes, we're bringing people in, we're providing jobs, we're finding new people to love on your community. But 
we're going to do this responsibly and we're going to be the one standing at the front, making sure that this place is loved on and not used. And how do we do that with unreasonable hospitality to our neighbors? How do we love on them in a way that makes them feel heard uh, and welcome? It, it might be, it, it could be a tide changer in the right moment. Yeah, it's amazing. And this is, goes back to my last point is it changes my outlook on just about everything. Because to your point, Steve, it's not only what we're talking about with homeowners and guests and fellow employees. Now it stretches the community. We'll take that a step further and it's your family and friends, right? This is a mindset that you take to just about every aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I know guys, we might be a little bit at time here and we certainly didn't get through the whole book. Maybe we'll have to come back and do again, a part two. I think we need to come back and start talking about what we implement and what are the changes that we start to make. So let's put a pin in this one and come back and maybe it's in episode 30. We'll get Steve every 10 episodes. (laughs) We got to come back and start thinking about what we implement. Yeah, you guys do a great job of booking him. So Scott, anything else you want to add in or should we put a bow on this one? In? Yeah, no, I love everything about it. It, it. The my, I have one major concern and it's, I feel like we're getting better and better with every episode. Every time Steve comes on, we take a step up. And my only concern is we got to look at who's booked next week and make sure <laughs> we're going to, we're going to be okay here. Cause again, it, this is just like this ride and it's incredibly important for the industry. Right? It's incredibly important for us. And if you look at this and this is the direction, right? With everything going on, if we can make this happen and we can start this trend, I think it changes a lot of the tide and it can really move. And I don't know, Steve's last comment on community really stuck with me because if you look at it now, it's all adversarial with us, right? Everything is adversarial with us, right? It's them against us. And to Steve's point, It doesn't have to be that way. If we stop and say, we don't need to meet you at the county meeting or the city meeting or all that stuff. Let's meet and be real people here on our terms. And how are we working together? That was not something I contemplated, but I think that's one of the most powerful things. And I'm not, clearly there's got to be someone standing at City Hall. And Adam says this all the time. We're not those people, but you don't have to meet them there. Meet them, meet them in the community. And I think that's, maybe that's the unreasonable ask as we wrap this up is, Instead of meeting them at City Hall, but start meeting them right at the local coffee shop and having the conversation. Love that. Awesome. Thank you, really, Steve, for coming and joining us again. We do appreciate it. And I know we have an outline. <laughs> Adam does a phenomenal job putting together the outline. I don't think we got a third of the way through this one. But like I said, <laughs> we'll definitely have to come in and do another one next time. But I think we're probably at time for a gentleman here. And I'm, I'm sure you guys have other things to attend to. So really appreciate you, Steve. Appreciate you. If you've listened this far, we thank you. If you could leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. You could head on over to your podcast app of choice and leave us a review there. And we look forward to hopefully capturing Steve again in a few episodes and coming back here on the show. So thanks so much. And we'll catch everybody on the next time around. Thanks, everyone.